from UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Brain. For a lot of us, things have been put on hold the past year and a half. Whether it's a visit with loved ones, a haircut, or just a feeling of security, it can seem like we had to go without for these many months. Just like us, Opera in the Rock had to put its plans on hold at the outset of the pandemic. But now their new season is sure to impress, and it begins with what was to be their pre-pandemic season opener, the one-act Scalia Ginsburg, in just a few weeks. Opera in the Rock executive and artistic director Kate Sane returns to the art scene to talk about the new season. Their opening show is set for August 27th. It's been a wild year. I, th- I feel like every time I... Um, I'm talking to someone that I haven't spoken to who's involved in the the arts, performance, music, basically live anything. Uh, the first question is just how have you been over the past year and a half? How have you been adapting? How have you been, um, I guess, maybe coping could be a better word with uh, the, the pause in live performance that we've had to deal with? Well, I mean, I think for the organization, we've actually... Um... I think we've actually done pretty well. Um, We made a conscious decision about this time last year to use some um, COVID relief funding to kind of ramp up our infrastructure. And um, despite the shutdown, uh, we've been able to increase staffing. We built a new website, um, did a lot of organization internally that needed to happen. And then in the spring, we worked on some virtual programming. We did, um, we filmed the opera Bon Appetit about Julia Child and um, aired that as part of a virtual gala in May. Um, so, you know, we, we dipped our toe into the, <laughs> into the virtual world there. And then the one thing we have been working on that I'm super excited about, we have developed an adaptation of La Traviata because we canceled our production um, that was scheduled for last May. And um, we did a workshop of that in the spring. So we brought the cast and musicians together and worked on the story. Uh, the piece is called Viva Violetta. It's about, um, it's, it's actually set in 1920s Arkansas during the women's suffrage movement. And it's telling the La Traviata story only through the eyes of the women. Um, Basically any scene that the the women are not directly involved in has been cut. um, And we only see what they see. And we sort of shifted the story around. Um, It's it's in English. The translation's been worked on. Um, Ella Marchment, who is actually directing two of our productions this season, was the adapter. And um, Michael Rice, who is um, an Arkansan you're probably familiar with, he came down and he is orchestrating the music to kind of add a Arkansas element. Some of Verdi's music is now bluegrass. Um, It's kind of really interesting. So, you know, that was fun because we were able to take time to do something that I don't think we would have necessarily done if we were trying to do a regular season. Um, And that show has not been scheduled, but I I intend for it to be um, sometime next fall of 2022. So, um, but yeah, so, I mean, Opera in the Rock has, has, you know, has weathered the storm. Um, and, you know, <laughs> personally, I'm 
holding it together. I'm ready to see a performance happen. So we start rehearsals this weekend, which is super exciting. Very nice. Well, yeah, good to know as well that you're you're hanging in there as well. I'm sure it was not the easiest time uh, to sort of shepherd this organization through, uh, but it seems like everything is back on track uh, for the most part, certainly. Um, I did want to say that, I mean, we kind of have a little bit of a breaking news item on the desk today um, that in that you'll be requiring uh, proof of vaccination and masking in uh, your first performances and certainly throughout the, the season. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious as to just what went in, into making this decision. Uh, what what do you expect the reaction to be? Maybe will it uh, do, you, do you think it might have an impact on on the season? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to say we're making a decision for the entire season now, but it's definitely for our first production of um, Scalia Ginsburg, which opens August the 26th at the Clinton Presidential Center. So um, originally we had planned to have some mask required performances uh, similar to um, our friends at the Rep had done for some of their summer uh, summer productions where certain days would require masks and others days wouldn't. So people would have an option to pick and choose. And then as you know, the Delta variant has spread rapidly through our area. We, um, you know, were, were informed with our friends at the, the Clinton Foundation that we would definitely be requiring masks for everyone inside the building. So that's, you know, that was a step one. And then um, the next kind of next part of that was that proof of vaccine would be required where food and beverage is being served. So um, they have their restaurant open 42. So you have to um, vaccine proof is required to eat in the restaurant. And we have a reception planned for our opening night celebration on August the 27th. So we knew we would be requiring proof of vaccine for that particular performance, which also then would apply to the entire cast and crew, which we were already um, planning for anyway. And um, after a meeting late last week, uh, we, we discussed it. And I think um, our, our other partners in the arts, um, Argenta Community Theater, um, Kansa are, you know, friends that we work closely with are requiring proof of vaccine. And as I'm sure you've heard, Broadway is doing the same. Um, and I had gotten some feedback from, um, supporters of the opera that, um, they basically wouldn't be willing to attend if that was not the case. Um, now granted, you know, decisions weren't made for <laughs> particular individuals, but um, after a meeting last week, it just seemed like that the uh, vaccine requirement was getting um, positive feedback where it had been put in place. Um, I mean, my biggest concern was that it would hinder sales and, and it might, you know, I mean, there's no way to tell. Um, but I suspect that a good portion of our audience is going to be vaccinated. And I think that by doing this, it puts people um, in a situation where they can do something fun and they can get back to performing arts and they can feel safe and protected. And um, we now can keep the bar open <laughs> because we were going to have to cut that out because that's, you know, food and beverage being served. So um, I hope that people will um, 
get their vaccine and um, come see the show. And so I'm, I, I stand behind the decision. I think it's the right thing to do for right now. <laughs> and then we'll make another decision pretty soon because our next, perf- uh, next production is October the 8th. So just as soon as we finish this, we're going to be gearing up for that. And, um, you know, I can't make a, a firm statement, but my instinct is that the protocols will probably remain the same by then. You know, we were thinking of this in the context of the audience being in, in close proximity in an indoor space for a set amount of time. But you also think about the performers, right? Like they're traveling, yes. they're, they're also in even closer proximity with each other. Yeah. And I mean, especially for this, I mean, for the, for the opera, you know, we want to hear them sing, you know, um, if, if we were to not require a vaccine, we might even have been in a situation to have to put the cast in masks. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's not really what I think someone comes to the opera to see. Although I did do some research, there are some clear ones that look pretty decent if one were to have to go that route. Um, but this way we can um, let them perform and do what they do best. And we, um, we have also cut our capacity back. So there's going to be distance between the stage and the front row. Um, to keep people even further separated from the singers. And um, that's even more of a reason to buy a ticket because we need, we need to fill the room with what we can. So um, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see people uh, live and in person and in a space. As much as I am intrigued to see how masked opera would work, it's I, I think it's probably better this way. <laughs> I I agree with you. Yeah. Although I will say the the ones that I came up with that could have been an option looked like they could maybe work. But you know, I don't know. You might even be having to put a microphone into the mask and then it's not, you know, it defeats that opera element as well. So yeah, it's a, a whole thing. So not not even going to bother with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that, I mean, this hiatus, I guess, for the past year and a half, uh, you had a little bit more time to sort of sit with things and work on projects that maybe would have uh, not otherwise gotten done if you were in the middle of a, trying to put on new shows for the season. Um, I, I remember talking to you in, in a year and a half ago about talking about the new season that Obviously, it did not um, pan out in its original form. Uh, I see a few holdovers, but I, I can't quite remember exactly uh, from the last time we spoke. I, I guess how much has the season changed since then? Yeah, I mean, we uh, let's see the, the biggest change. Well, two changes. One um our Divas in the Rock concert, uh, we've done two of those in the past. The most recent one was an Aretha Franklin tribute that we did. Uh, let's see. I think that was fall of 2018. So it's been a minute since we were able to pull that off. But um, we decided to sort of elevate that program and are trying to transition it into a fall gala experience um, as opposed to just, you know, a, a, a fun, fun night out, which I mean, it still is. But um, with that with that, we actually now are able to bring in an artist, which I'm really excited about, Mary Bridget Davies. Um, she was 
nominated for a Tony for her role as Janis Joplin in um, the Broadway musical Night with Janis Joplin, which ooh, I'm going to mess up the year. I think that was 2013 or 2014. You'll have to check me on that. <laughs> but um, she is incredible. I um, saw the production then and I, I'm i a big fan. And so I, I just reached out to see if, you know, she were able to tour or anything like that. And it, and it worked out. So we actually had booked her for last fall on the off chance that we were able to open, um, you know, <laughs> when people thought we might open COVID after last summer, but, um, so, you know, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's a Friday night, October the 8th. Um, and that's going to be at PT charts at Plasky Tech. And we're still, we're in development of what that event's actually going to look like. Um, ticket prices haven't been set. I suspect there will be a gala level price and then a general admission um, ticket to just see the concert. But so that's one change was just kind of looking at our overall programming because our, our traditional gala has been in the spring and it's kind of stayed in the same format. I think the last well, the one we had right before the shutdown um, in 2020 was, um, I think that was number 11. Uh, yeah, it was number 11, um, Opera on the Rocks 11. And so after 11 of those, I wanted to shake things up. But we plan to have something like that um, in the spring again. And ultimately, um, we are trying to grow our guild membership, which is something we've worked on during the past year as well. And ultimately, I'd like to have a volunteer guild that um, helps with that traditional gala fundraiser. So that's that's a change. Um, basically taking things we've already had in existence and just kind of reworking them. And then um, as far as productions, a little night music is new to the list. Uh, we had planned to partner with Argenta Community Theater on a production of A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. And that was one we had talked about last year. So um, that uh, change happened. Uh, they had a little night music already slated for this coming season. And it's, it's a really great production to put um, the classical singing voice in. And it was one we were talking about wanting to do together anyway. And um, in our early meetings there, we felt like it's a bit of a more recognizable title, especially for the musical theater crowd. And so coming out of COVID, we wanted to have something that people would really, um, really get excited about, um, which personally, I think Gentleman's Guide is a phenomenal show, but it's not quite as you know, as well known, it's contemporary and some people haven't heard of it, but we definitely want to do Gentleman's Guide in a future season together. So that's, that has not been tossed permanently. It just um, made the most sense to make that switch. And then Anna Bolena has been scheduled for <laughs> a long time. Um, it was supposed to be happening in June of 21. So obviously that's come and gone. And it's now going to be May of next year. So, and that's the team that's involved in that has remained on the production. It's also going to be directed by Ella Marchment. 
And um, Francesca Mondanero is returning. She was our Chocho San in Madame Butterfly. And um, we're excited to have her back because she's um, incredible. And she's, she is not performing as often now. Um, so to get her in a live production um, next year is a real treat. And there's some other cast members I'm excited about that we can't talk about yet. But um, if things work out the way I believe they're going to, the singer playing our Henry, King Henry, is also going to be someone that is not local, that um, has quite the following in the opera world. So um, we'll look forward for an announcement on that soon. And yeah, so that's kind of where the season landed. I mean, I love to see our seasons as kind of an overarching theme um, this year. We're sort of the theme is <laughs> we're coming out of COVID and we're making it work. <laughs> but um, I think there's something for everybody. Um, Scalia Ginsburg is obviously short. It's a one act it's in English. We've got our great partners at the Clinton Foundation. So that's going to be a really special event. It's a great thing for someone to try if they've never been to an opera before. Um, it's a good, you know, kind of good starter. And then, um, you know, we're going to have a rock and roll concert <laughs> because why not? And then we've got a classic musical and then, um, you know, Italian opera. Um, and Anna Bolena will be presented in Italian with super titles. This is The Art Scene from UA Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Daniel Breen. We're speaking with Kate Sane, Executive and Artistic Director of Opera in the Rock, about their offerings for the upcoming season. It begins with the one-act opera Scalia Ginsburg on August 27th. I mean, that's something I, I think I've always uh, I admired or really liked about Opera in the Rock is that it's not all Italian or German. <laughs> it's you, There's a lot of contemporary works. There's a lot of um, just really creative things. You know, it's it's it doesn't ever feel not not to say that old works from the opera canon are, are like stagnant or anything. But, you know, there's there's very much like a, a new energy that that really is is always present in, in your new seasons. Yeah, I, that's something, I, I mean, that appeals to me personally. So, you know, in my role as artistic director, I just, I want it to be fun. Um, I want people to be excited and I, you know, I want to keep the variety going because I think that, you know, the, the traditional big grand opera and um, in a foreign language is, it can be intimidating, especially to someone not familiar with the art form. Um, and so even those works, I, I like to try, you know, I don't know if you remember our La Traviata uh, was to be set in 1940s Hollywood. Um, you know, we were, we're trying to even with works that are out here in the public domain that people are familiar with to, you know, to, to, to make them more accessible as, as we're able to um, without pushing things too far. And um, the Annabolena, our current, you know, we, we had we had some early creative meetings on that pre pre COVID or maybe right when we shut down. And um, if we keep things as planned, 
the creativity you're going to find is going to be in the, in the design. Um, we're trying to go very like high fashion in the costuming, um, expect it to be kind of dark modern production, uh, maybe some sparse, uh, sparse staging, not a lot of set, but, um, the, the, the sort of Pinterest board of our director and our costumer is really cool. So, you know, I hope we can pull that off because it also, I look at it and I see dollar signs. I'm like this is, this is not a couture fashion show, but um, there was some headdresses made of zip ties. I mean, there was some crazy stuff going on. So I think, I think if we put our creativity into it, it should be really interesting, but without changing the time period because obviously it's such a historical um story we're going to stretch the boundaries with the look and the design of the production and um i think if you look at the just the even the teaser season art that we've released you can see that that's something to look forward to i'm, I'm now i'm just imagining zip tie headdresses and what, I, what that's I, look I, like. they exist <laughs> I, I don't doubt you <laughs> Well, yeah, speaking of that, that notion of staying true to the source material, but wanting to interpret it a little bit or, or, or sort of mold it to what best suits your needs or your talents that you have, um, I guess f for this season, the Sondheim, the little night music, like that's probably the best example of that. Um, when you think of Sondheim, you do think of the music, like he's, he's very much more focused on having a beautiful orchestral score really um, showcasing a vocal talent, maybe more so than um, other pieces of musical theater, maybe more focused on the plot or just the dialogue or things like that. Um, you said that that lent itself very well to the the operatic voice, but uh, what was the process like of sort of adapting it to you fit your needs? Well, that process that process is still very much um, a, a, an early conversation. So we're, I mean the the piece you know we we are still having planning meetings there um we need to um we need to have auditions uh nothing in that piece has been precast so um we're going to be meeting with um Vincent and Zalaco at Argenta um and really deciding where we're going to land there um, Opera and Rock is going to be having open call auditions. I'm going to say in early fall. I hope that we're able to get them scheduled in September. But if if time gets in the way, they will be immediately following um, the Mary Bridget Davies concert um, in October. But um, one in our in our conversations with ACT of just our partnership in general, even going back to the conversations we had with the Gentleman's Guide. Um, and if you look at the uh, the announcements that Argenta made earlier this year, uh, the music direction is by Opera and the Rock. So um, we are responsible for making that music seem as if it's coming from the opera company. Um, and so that's something with the, with the casting. And I mean, granted, there's so much talent in town and um, especially in the actors and actresses that are um, seen often in the community productions. I mean, there's people that can, you know, sing like crazy. Um, but I, I wanna make sure that we're really getting that legitimate sound 
Um, and that's something we still have to figure out. And, you know, Argenta does a great job with production quality, um, set design. Of course, their theater is a treat to see a show in. So they, they have a ton to offer there. And, um, you know, it's a piece, uh, night music is, you know, there's, there's people out there that it's their dream <laughs> to be in a production of this show. So, I mean, I, I expect that a lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork to audition for it. And that's actually really interesting because I love to keep our auditions open. Um, even our regular season. I mean, I, it's not, it's not just you know, something like, like Anna Bolena. I mean, I suspect that there will be singers that end up in the chorus or in smaller roles in that, that aren't, um, aren't trained, uh, classically trained. So, um, I'm intrigued to see how that one develops, but I will tell you that, um, there are still a lot of conversations to be had. So, <laughs> um, it's on the horizon, but we're, we're very much in the planning process there. All right. Very nice. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does kind of speak to your your overarching goal of the season of, you know, trying to broaden your audience and include more people in, in that you're doing a, a musical theater show. You're doing a one act modern opera in English. You're having Janis Joplin come. I mean, how did you how did you swing that? That's amazing. <laughs> um. You know, I sent a Facebook message to her manager <laughs> and just said, hey, um, I'm a fan. I think that this would be an interesting fit. Um, is she looking for any bookings? Um, and, you know, they responded and and we were able to work it out. Um, Mary Bridget is she i she's one of the i think the only um janice interpreter that um is able to do performances for the janice joplin estate um which is you know really cool so she's got a kind of stamp of approval um i know she did some virtual concerts maybe last summer um affiliated with with um with them and she's just incredibly talented if if you're able to see a stream of a night with Janis Joplin and you're a fan of her music I mean to me it's she might as well be the real thing and we we I, you know we still have some discussions to have there I'm not I'm not sure if we're doing the entire concert in character or if she'll be doing some other music um, that's something we still have to establish, but, um, one thing with divas in the rock is we've always made sure that although we're doing a popular music concert, that there is a tie to opera. Um, it sounds like a stretch, but you know, Joplin herself was a fan of opera. Um, her favorite was Porgy and Bess. She has, um, an iconic recording of summertime, um, that she's known for. So we'll definitely be referring to that throughout the concert as well. Um, similar to the Aretha Franklin event, um, Aretha had performed some arias throughout her career, um, some duets with um, other classical artists. And um, I think it's really neat when you get that crossover of genre. And that's one thing I want to, you know, kind of drive home in the messaging is, 
it's not just random. Um, I mean, it, it, it seemingly might <laughs> look that way on paper, but there's definitely a tie there. And it and it's a way to educate the public that opera is really kind of everywhere when you get back into references and inspiration of artists. And it's been around for a long, long time. And it's, it's an incredible, um, you know, it's an art form that encompasses all, all art forms um, from design to dance, you know, music, singing, really, really everything. And so um, there's just a lot of connection to what we, what we see in pop culture today. That was Kate Sane, executive and artistic director of Opera in the Rock. She gave us a sneak peek at their upcoming season, with four shows running from August to May of next year. Their first show, Scalia Ginsburg, runs from August 27th to the 29th at the Clinton Presidential Center in downtown Little Rock. And that's our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Breen, and the art scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio. Yeah.